It's Tuesday, January 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. With an uneven vaccine rollout, high demand, and stories of vials being thrown away, how many vaccine doses are going to waste? It's hard to tell. The CDC requires that states report how many shots are discarded, but many states are not even counting the number. It is important to know so we can fix issues in the supply chain or in storage deficiencies. But data collection and enforcement varies by state. Caroline Chen, healthcare reporter at ProPublica, joins us for more. Next, the new strains of coronavirus have been very concerning when it comes to vaccine efficacy. But Moderna, maker of one of the approved vaccines in the US, has said that their shots are effective against South African and UK variants. Still, they are exploring making a booster shot and a new version of the vaccine to combat the South African strain. Peter Loftus, healthcare reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for Moderna's vaccine plan. Finally, the troubling pattern emerging among the new coronavirus variants is that they are all more transmissible and they are becoming the dominant strains in their respective areas. Mutations in the virus are making the spike protein stickier, allowing people to become infected more easily. Sarah Zhang, staff writer at The Atlantic, joins us for more on these new COVID variants. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. So, you know, we've been hearing these stories about pharmacists where if somebody no-shows for their appointment and it's coming towards the end of the day and you have a few doses left over, they sometimes have to go and find someone to use those doses because you can't stick it back in the fridge. Joining us now is Caroline Chen, healthcare reporter at ProPublica. Thanks for joining us, Caroline. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about the vaccine rollout right now. You know, it's not been going as best as everybody had hoped for. It's slower than anticipated. And we've heard a lot of stories about some vaccines not being administered, possibly being thrown away. But there's a big question now, how many vaccine doses are going to waste? And it's hard to know because a lot of states just aren't doing the accounting of it. The CDC wants states to take account of wasted shots, but many are not doing that. So Caroline, tell us a little bit more about this. So of course, in a massive vaccine campaign like we're having right now, it's sort of inevitable that some doses are likely to go to waste. But in particular, there's been a difficulty that's come about because of the way Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines are created, which is that they have to be kept frozen and Once you take them out, thaw them, and open them up and start using them, you have to use them within six hours. So, you know, we've been hearing these stories about pharmacists where if somebody no-shows for their appointment and it's coming towards the end of the day and you have a few doses left over, they sometimes have to go and find someone to use those doses because you can't stick it back in the fridge. So in those cases, sometimes if they haven't set up some sort of system like a waitlist system or early on particularly there were some states which were being really stringent about the rules and saying you have to stick to say the 1A priority group. You're not allowed to go outside of the 1A priority group even if there's somebody who really wants the vaccine. Even if it's the end of the day, you're totally running out of time, you're not allowed to go outside the priority group. We were hearing stories of pharmacists or healthcare workers then having to toss the doses. Right. And that was one of the early things that a lot of them were worried about because the rules were so stringent. People were saying, we don't want people cutting in line for this. Just so, uh, you know, let's say rich people or whatever couldn't get up to the front of the line. You know, some of these people were very worried about giving doses out to anybody else. So some might have gone to waste. And that we, we heard a bunch of stories like that. Since 
then I think the CDC has clarified its guidelines and said, well, you know, when we put out these priority guidelines to sort of help states prioritize, we didn't mean that you could never, ever stray from them. And of course, because we have limited doses right now, it's more important for you to never waste a dose and don't throw out doses. So yes, if it's the end of the day, if you just have a couple doses that are about to expire, please don't throw them out. You know, it's better for you to give them to someone than to throw them out. So I think a lot of states have sort of loosened up their restrictive rules and said, you know, try to have a wait list of people you can call or move down to the next prioritization group. So I think there's less of that happening. But what experts have told us is that beyond that sort of particular scenario, it is really important to know if there is wastage happening and to have people report this because it can help you identify potential supply chain problems or storage problems. If there's a vaccine site that has particularly large amounts of waste, maybe they have a problem with their storage capabilities, for example, which is why they do want this sort of reporting to happen. But, you know, we're curious, you know, is there a lot of waste happening? Is there actually very little waste happening? And so we started calling around to a bunch of states and it turns out that depending on which state you're in, some of them do it very rigorously and some don't ask you to report it at all. Right. Uh, You mentioned a few of them in particular. Maryland says they don't systematically collect that data. Indiana says they do a little bit, but the wastage has been minimal. There's other places like Pennsylvania and Colorado that do have mandates for some of this. And even then for themselves said, you know, it's been kind of minimal, uh, not too many. It's been issues with broken vials or syringe issues, things like that. So it really has depended state to state. It's really interesting. There's states we've gone to like you mentioned Pennsylvania and Ohio, where we've been able to go to them and their spokespeople immediately were able to say, yes, we require our providers to report this and here's the number. So like Ohio, for example, said as of January 15th, it's been 165 doses. That's very low. There were a number of states that were kind of squishy where they were like, well, we know of an incident where (laughs) a few hundred were wasted because of a temperature excursion. And I'm like, is that an incident that you know about and that's it? Like, or is that comprehensive? Like, do you require providers to report everything? And we didn't get all the answers to our questions. So that's kind of like the middle ground where they give us some numbers, but they wouldn't tell us if that was everything. And then there were some states, as you mentioned, such as Maryland, such as Michigan, who were like, we we just don't ask our providers to report this data at all. You know, we've seen just a ton of demand. Obviously the supply is limited, But we're seeing a ton of demand for these things. People are lining up. People are going to the websites to get their appointments for this. And that's why when we hear things about waste or somebody in the top tier didn't show up, so we had to throw a dose out, you know, there's so much scrutiny on this because nobody wants to let these things go to waste. I think especially right now, there's this feeling that every dose is so precious because there's so many people who want the vaccine. And of course, production has not yet been able to keep up with demand. And we're in this position right now where that is where the scrutiny is on, I think hopefully by spring and definitely by summer, there'll be so much supply that we won't have to be so anxious about every wasted dose. But, you know, this is going to be a problem, not just in the U.S., but globally, because we're just not going to have any time soon, even by the summer, anywhere near the amount of supply that we need globally. Caroline Chen, healthcare reporter at ProPublica. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on.
You don't give the virus the chance to continue to replicate because when it does, it starts to mutate. So the way you block that mutation is just get everybody vaccinated as quickly as you possibly can. Joining us now is Peter Loftus, healthcare reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thanks for having me on. People have been very concerned about all the coronavirus variants that are popping up in the UK, South Africa, and Brazil. One of the approved vaccines that we have right now, Moderna, has said that their shots do protect against these strains, but they are developing a booster shot against the South African strain and maybe a whole new vaccine for that one. Uh, So, Peter, what do we know about this? The companies that have the vaccines that are out there have been saying for a couple of weeks now that they think that their vaccines as they exist now would be sufficient to protect against these new variants. Even though the variants have differences, they have suspected that the differences aren't so great that they would negate the effect of the vaccines. But they need to prove that. And so what they're doing is they're starting out by running lab tests, these in vitro tests, where they're using sort of something that resembles the variants of the virus and then blood samples from people that have been vaccinated and basically just trying to see if the antibodies that are in people's blood who've been vaccinated, if they would have what they would call a neutralizing effect against these new variants. And so what Moderna is now saying is they've run these um, some of these lab tests and they do believe that the effect of the antibodies will be enough even against these new variants But in the case of the South African variant, the neutralizing effect of the vaccine seems to be lower than what you would hope for, even though they still think that's protective. Right. So the the antibody levels decrease sharply, you know, when it comes to that South African strain. Do we know what's different specifically about that one, let's say, versus the UK version that makes it that much more transmissible? I believe that there's differences in the mutations in what they call the spike protein, which is this protein that sits on the surface. And so I think even though both the UK and the South African variants, you know, obviously their their differences are in the forms of mutations. There's something about the mutations on the spike protein portion of the South African variant and make it so that people are concerned that these current vaccines wouldn't have as much of an immune response against that variant. So Moderna is planning on testing a booster shot or even developing a new version of the vaccine. This booster shot would be a third shot in addition to the two-shot protocol. How how are they planning this out? Because they're going to start phase one trials pretty soon. So it will still take some time for this to be in development. So as a reminder, the existing Moderna vaccine is approved to be given in two doses about four weeks apart. It's a similar process for the Pfizer vaccine two doses about three weeks apart. And what Moderna is saying is they're going to test giving a third dose to people. And it could be something that they wouldn't get the dose until maybe like six months to a year after that second dose. And they're going to see if that is enough to sort of guard against these variants. But as sort of a backup to that, they're making modifications to the original vaccine so that they better target more specifically some of those mutations in the South African variant, and then they would test that as giving that as a booster. So they've got a couple parallel tracks here that are sort of the backup plan if it turns out that just the original vaccine might not be enough to protect against the South African variant. 
now that we have the base vaccine developed and yeah, as you mentioned, you know, approved, it's already rolling out speed. Moderna says is on their side. They can change these things a lot faster than the first time around. And it could be something that scientists have said for a long time could happen with the coronavirus and COVID-19. We'll need kind of an annual vaccine, something similar to a flu shot. You know, last year when Moderna first got going, developing its original vaccine, it was somewhat impressive that they were able to design it relatively quickly and manufacture an initial batch for testing in about six weeks. And then the first human study started within about two months of that. And that by vaccine standards, that was very quick. And so what they're saying now is that because of that experience and just all the experience that they've gotten since then, they think they could go even faster than that when they're making these modifications to a vaccine to target this new strain. And so they feel like they could get something into testing even faster and that it might not have to go through this whole series of tests that we saw over the past year where you have to enroll tens of thousands of people to see if it works. Maybe there's some quicker way to measure whether it's working and get the FDA on board with that. And yeah, that is something similar to what you see with the flu shot, where you have like a base vaccine design, but then each year they have to kind of make these modifications to try to match what they think is going to be the most circulating strain of the flu and then get that into production really quick. And they don't necessarily have to do all of the steps that you would have to do to satisfy regulators for a brand new vaccine. And now all of this information is coming out of Moderna. Have we heard anything from Pfizer about their effectiveness against these new variants? Pfizer has released some information suggesting that they think that their vaccine could still be protective against the variants, but they're also continuing to run studies. So I think we're going to hear more from them as well in the coming weeks. Peter Loftus, healthcare reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks. All viruses mutate, but most of these mutations don't lead to any changes in characteristics of the virus. But certain key mutations that we've been keeping our eye on can lead to increased transmission, potentially increased death. And that's what we're seeing with some of these variants. Joining us now is Sarah Zhang, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Good to talk to you. We're all, you know, hoping that these vaccines get distributed fast and they're very effective. I know we've seen some stumbling blocks already, but there's a lot of talk about these coronavirus variants that are popping up. We have three main variants right now, one coming out of the UK, South Africa, and Brazil. And there's a pattern kind of coming out around them. Sarah, you wrote an article kind of exploring some of this. Tell us a little bit more about what we're seeing with these variants. Yeah, these three variants have some of the same mutations. And, you know, that in itself is not necessarily concerning. The virus has been mutating this whole time since it's been in humans. And you kind of just expect that, you know, given affecting enough people, you'll some of the same mutations will show up over and over again. But what's really unusual is that these three variants all seem to be becoming more common. So it's possible that they might be a little bit more transmissible in the case of the South Africa and Brazil variants. Maybe they might erode previous immunity, like if you've had the virus before, like, you know, previous version of the virus before, this new version may be a little bit better at evading the immune system. I would say it's this is like not a reason to freak out by the vaccines right now. There's no evidence to say that the current vaccines are going to be totally ineffective, but it's something that vaccine makers should watch and they should probably think about updating vaccines at some point. You talk about how often these mutations happen. We usually get something like two mutations per month. 
but these latest three variants have had you know a ton of new mutations happen all in a very short little bit of time. The way some scientists have described it, if you think of like all these viruses as like you know in like a tree of how they're all related, these three variants they're on very very long branches. They're quite different from the other viruses that they're most related to. So that suggests that something maybe not typical is going on and how quickly they're gaining their mutations. So one hypothesis is that it's possible they arise in a long term or chronic infection in someone who's immunocompromised. So what this means is that you know normally if you get the virus, your immune system will kind of clear it within two weeks. But if you have a weakened immune system, maybe you're living with this virus for several months. And over that time, your immune system, like, you know, that's an immunocompromised person. That's kind of almost like a training ground for having the virus be a little bit better at dealing with the human immune system. So it's possible that these cases, these like probably pretty rare cases, might end up having a pretty big impact on the trajectory of the pandemic. There are some commonalities to these three variants that we have right now, and a lot of it with everything with the coronavirus, it has to do with that spike protein. And this mutation, uh, they call it N501Y. And it could make that spike protein stickier, which lets it get into cells a lot easier. So this particular mutation is on a part of the spike protein that kind of comes directly in contact with your cell when it's trying to enter a cell. So that tells us that this is a pretty pretty important part of the protein. We know spike is a really important protein on the coronavirus. And it's on this this tip that is really important for how it enters cells. So that kind of gives us some idea that it may be impacting, you know, how easy it is for this virus to stick onto a cell. You might think of it as maybe in a normal case, like, you know, it's kind of like a loose fit onto the cell and this is like a slightly tighter fit. In Brazil, we're seeing people get maybe not necessarily reinfected, but cases rise in places that already had a huge number of coronavirus cases. That's kind of an interesting one. And that's why it leads people to believe that these things are more transmissible, these new variants. We don't have enough data yet to say that this you know, particular strain is causing the second outbreak. But it is kind of an unusual situation, where, as you say, it's a region in Brazil that had a huge outbreak already last year. So you would think even if it's not at her immunity, it has like some you know, substantial portion, maybe 30, 40, 50 percent of the population has already been infected. Yet it's seeing another huge surge right now. So, you know, there are a couple of reasons that could be happening, right? One maybe is just fewer people actually got sick in the first wave than we thought. Another reason could be that maybe immunity to this virus, even without new mutations, does start to wane a little bit after several months. A third possibility is that maybe this variant is just a little bit more transmissible. So even though you have a little bit of immunity out there, it's just so much more transmissible that you're still seeing this huge wave. The fourth is the possibility that these particular mutations in this variant may be helping the virus escape a little bit of that previous immunity. I want to be clear that this doesn't mean that the second infection is going to be as bad as the first infection. What's very likely is that the second infection might be asymptomatic or you might be a lot less sick the second time. And just because immunity is not like an all or nothing thing, it's it's, it's better to think of it as like kind of a gradation. So anytime you've had some sort of immunity, it's going to be a little bit protective, even if it's not 100% protective. The thing is, like when you're talking about, you know, kind of thousands of people, millions of people at scale, even like a slight advantage for the virus, if it's just a little bit better at reinfecting people, you're going to start seeing it become more common. So hopefully over the next few weeks, we'll get a little bit more data on exactly what the reason for the second surge might be. Sarah Zhang, staff writer at The Atlantic, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me again. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.